0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And um, thank you again to our fifth Sunday um, for coming and serving us this way. Um, you guys have joined us for the penultimate sermon in our HVAC series. Um, This summer, various folk of the church have been sharing books and art and music and stuff that have influenced their HVAC, that is, their habits, their virtues, and their character. But as we get started, I invite you to, as BJ said last week, have a conversation with God about what he and we are doing together. Let's pray. Father God, You are doing things here this morning. And we want to be part of that. So I pray, God, that whether our job is speaking or listening or taking care of practical stuff or loving kids, that we wouldn't get in the way of what you want to do, but that we would be ready and willing to partner with you. We invite your spirit to move in and through us for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. There's a picture coming up on the screen. It's the same as the one on the front of your bulletin. And I'd like you to think what it might be a picture of. If you figure it out, just keep it to yourself for a moment. And while you squint and turn your eye and cock your head at the picture, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself for those of you who might not know or don't remember. I am blessed to have for my heritage generations of missionaries on both sides, my mother's and my father's side, And I was born in Zambia, where my parents were missionaries for almost 30 years. While being missionaries does not guarantee that you're on the right track with God, in my case, while my parents weren't perfect, they were genuine, which really is better. There is lots that I could say about my childhood. The normality of an abnormal life lived in a place that was my home, but not my country. The unique experience of boarding school from grades 2 to 12, which... I consider the best gift my parents ever gave me. The incredible ways that I saw God work when my dad died. I was 14. And of course, the snake stories and the elephant stories, the trips and the travel, the miracles and the friends. But what's relevant this morning is the fact that I was soaked in Scripture from almost the moment that I was born. And here, I'm going to do my version of Paul's I'm a better Jew brag from Philippians chapter 3. I knew more Bible facts and verses and stories, etc., at 12, than most of us in this room do here today, including me. We memorized three to four verses a week for years, and more than once I memorized 100 verses quoting the whole book of Philippians, and later James, in one sitting. As well as having Bible as a subject in school, I particularly remember studying Micah in sixth grade, We had personal morning devotions of required activity at 6.15 a.m., singing and devotions with the whole school at 8.15 a.m., prayers where we rarely prayed but instead learned more Bible at 5 p.m., bedtime Bible story at 7 p.m., and on Sunday we had morning and afternoon Sunday services, and then as a treat for those in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, there was also a monthly evening service. And for those who still wanted more, there was scripture searching, a sort of extracurricular club where you answered one question on each chapter of the Bible by writing out the relevant verse for that chapter. I completed all of the books of the New Testament and most of the Old Testament before I left Sakiji, and that was just the scripture immersion that I had before I was 13, High school was a little bit less intense, but we still had Bible class. We still learned verses. We still had daily chapel in addition to our personal devotions and activities. So the Bible is my stomping grounds, and I love it. But there are some potential pitfalls that come with all this knowledge. Quite obviously, the first pitfall is pride. And this is a struggle for me a sin that I've wrestled with frequently and that Satan dresses up in all kinds of sneaky disguises. Maybe Paul had his up-and-down days, too, where he pulled out his credentials for all the wrong reasons. Because although I know that all this head knowledge is useless rubbish compared to knowing, that epigenosing, the deep-down experiential knowing of Christ Jesus as my Lord, it can be hard to remember some days. The second pitfall is related because it comes from feeling like you know it all and have heard it all before. And I don't think you have to be as inundated with scripture as I was to fall for this trap. I suspect that many of us who have heard our fair share of sermons and done our fair share of Bible studies and hung around in Christian circles for any length of time run up against this same issue feeling like we've heard it all before, and there's nothing new to learn from that verse because we already looked at it straight on from both sides and backwards. But this photograph, which my dorm mom in 11th grade shared with us, has been my saving grace. When Joe asked if I was interested in taking a week this summer, I went all over the place trying to figure out what piece of work has informed my HVAC. And every time that I thought of a habit, a virtue, or character that I could talk about, it would be because of some Bible passage, and that didn't exactly seem to be the point of the series. I finally figured out what the common thread was. This picture. More than anything else, this photograph has influenced my HVAC. So what do you see? It is a cow. It's not Jesus. It is a cow. It's, in fact, a photograph of a young cow, a young calf, a cow. And like many illusions, the picture is just a meaningless mess of black and white until suddenly you see it. And after that, you can't not see it. It's so obvious to me at this point that I actually had to show Craig just to make sure that it didn't immediately look like a cow when you looked at it. And my dorm mom used this picture as an example of what scripture does. You read the same verse 101 times, but on the 102nd time, something clicks, and you suddenly see something you never realized before. We called it having a cow. Now, I looked up at the etymology of the expression to have a cow, and it originated in the 1950s and obviously is used to imply overreaction to a situation. It's usually used in the negative, most famously by Bart Simpson Don't have a cow, man. Meaning, don't flip out, don't overreact, don't get angry over nothing. But the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language also offers this additional definition to become amazed. And there is so much to become amazed at in scripture. Even when you're reading the same verse for the 400th time, because you never know when the Holy Spirit's going to jump in and make it click for you. And then all of a sudden you see something that you never saw before. This photograph of a cow is a constant reminder that I have not heard it all. And that there is always something new to see in scripture. It's been said that scripture is like a pool, shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim. In other words, the Bible has something for everyone, and the Holy Spirit is there for all of us, just waiting to help us see something that we never saw before. So today, I want to share a couple of cows that I've had more recently. Back in 2007, while we were in Canada, we just finished up a really good, really real house church discussion where the question had come up, is this all true? All this God stuff, all this that we say we believe, is it really real or are we just the biggest fools out there? And one of the other guys said something along the lines of, there is a God and I believe he's good. To which I said, what if he's not good? And his answer, so quick, so immediate, so right, was, if God's not good, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. God is good. That's preschool theology. Like, seriously, the Bedrock did a whole unit on God is good last year. This is the stuff of the simplest Sunday school songs out there. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. This is basic. But it's so fundamental. If our God is not good, nothing else matters. If God's not good, we can't rely on him for anything. If he's not good, then so what if I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose again? God could just change his mind and decide it doesn't count anymore. If God's not good, then nothing we do or don't do can have any guarantees on what our future might look like. God's not good. Frankly, I don't want to have anything to do with him. That the God we serve is a good God is core, critical to everything else that we hold as true. And as soon as the absolute necessity of God's goodness was brought home to me, I saw it everywhere in the Bible. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. I am the good shepherd. Good and upright is the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's more verses, but I think these make the point. I'd read those verses. Heck, I'd even memorized many of them. But until I had a cow, I hadn't seen it. God is good, and that matters. And you see, I think we often get into trouble because we forget this basic fundamental truth. Something happens that's not good in our lives, in the world, or in the Bible, like Darcy in the Noah story, and we are tempted to doubt God's goodness. But we can't. We mustn't. Because if you pull on that thread, everything else unravels. Our God is good. And if that doesn't appear to be the case, then something about the context, our limited understanding, our current perspective, or our attitude needs to be checked. We may find a way to understand how God is good and yet this thing happened anyway. Or we may not. We might have to just leave our hands open on that one, realizing we don't get all the answers this side of glory. Two things this doesn't mean. It does not mean that all bad things are actually good if we just think about them differently. My dad dying at 42 and leaving my mom alone with four young children, that is not good. But God is good. And he works all things together for good. And I can see good that came out of it. Like he does with our sin, he redeems these bad things. And if we let, them, let him, he will bring good out of them. I know that we all know people who've had to walk through their own valley of the shadow of death. And on the other side, they say, Well, it was terrible to endure. I would never wish that time away because I've learned and grown and experienced so much that I would otherwise have missed. It also doesn't mean that you're settling for any naive, blind faith. We have a choice to believe that God is good or to believe that he's not. And if you choose to believe that God is not good, well, like I said, you might as well throw it all out. There's nothing left to hold on to. But if you believe that he is good, then he's always good. Even when an earthquake hits and hundreds of thousands die, even when your marriage hits bottom and you see no way forward, even when you know that millions of people live in conditions so horrible we can't even comprehend, even when you're given a diagnosis that means pain for the rest of your life, even when a leader who should bring good instead spreads chaos and turmoil, even when a child dies, even when, even when, even when God is good. And this is where this cow is actually one of my habits. I choose to believe in the face of the worst things that God is good. And if he's good, he is more good than I am. So whatever's troubling me troubles him more. He's got it covered, as Mary says. And please, God, he may even use me to help set it just a little bit more right. I struggle with doubt in my life. It comes and goes. But at my lowest low, there are only two things that I can hang on to by faith. There is a God. I can't conceive of this universe without some kind of big power behind it all. And that God is good. Otherwise, there's no point. God is and is good. Sometimes that's all I can believe, but it's enough. Cows don't have to be quite so transformational to be cows. Once, while I was reading and meditating on Colossians chapter 1, I suddenly saw something in verses 9 and 10 that I hadn't previously noticed. It reads, we, that's Paul and his companions, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed. It struck me that Paul was praying that they would have wisdom to know God's will so that they could bear fruit in every good deed. And if he had to pray for that, it meant that it could be possible to have good deeds that did not bear fruit. I believe that what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying is that not all good things are good things you should be doing. If we continually say yes to all the myriad of good deeds that there are to do, we are not truly understanding God's will nor operating with spiritual wisdom. And as a result, we might have a nice long list of good deeds to our credit, but we won't necessarily have the fruit to show for it. This understanding has given me freedom to say no sometimes. Not based on my convenience or desires, but trusting God to give me the wisdom and understanding needed to know what he's asking of me and what he is not. And then not feeling guilty when I say no to a good deed. While having a cow is the work of the Holy Spirit, we still have to be looking and paying attention So one of the best ways to have a cow is to have to teach. And this happens for me whether it's Bedrock or Women of Hope. When I'm putting in time preparing a lesson, things pop out that I know I would miss otherwise. This summer, I led Bible study the week that we were looking at Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. A little bit of background reading, and I found out that the wheat and barley fields, symbolized by their product, bread, were for the people of Palestine what the Nile was for the Egyptians. The source of life, without which their chance for food and therefore survival was almost nil. The Nile in Egypt and bread in Palestine were also considered sacred. Both were acknowledged as a gift from God, And yet that gift was available and used by everyone, from the richest and most important leaders right down to the humblest, poorest farmer. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he's saying in just six words, I am sacred, holy, divine, I am from God, I am a source of life, and I am for everyone, no matter how rich or poor, how important or menial you are, What and who I am is available to you. I was amazed. I had a cow. It probably shouldn't surprise me that Jesus is that clever and could say so much or so little, but it kind of does. I am the bread of life. I am sacred, gift from God, offering life for everyone. I once had a cow at a movie theater. I wasn't watching a movie. I think Jason has cows watching movies, which is where we get all those poignant movie clips from. But I'm mostly just entertained by film. It was when we were meeting in the theater, and Jason was preaching through Matthew. And when he got to chapter 4, he did a quick survey before the service asking, what did Jesus preach? I know I was thinking, I should know this, but I can't quite put my finger on it. In fact, if memory serves me right, of the 12 people he asked, only Wendy Jung got close to the right answer, and she only got half a point. In case this wasn't a cow moment for the rest of you, and you forget, the answer to what did Jesus preach is, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come or is near. Again, I know I've heard and read that verse multiple times, but I never realized this is what Jesus preached. Now, repent is not such a hard concept, but the more I thought about kingdom of heaven, the less I really felt like I understood what that meant. And if when God had vocal cords, he spent his time saying, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near," perhaps it would be a good idea to get a handle on what this kingdom is and what it looks like and what it means for it to come near. I am not sure. How or why it took 30 years of being a Christian before I realized it might be important to think about what the kingdom of heaven is, but it did. So I have been thinking about the kingdom of heaven since then. Last year, the theme for BBC was kingdom builders. And in many ways, that was a culmination and reflection of 10 years of me trying to get a better handle, greater understanding, and more insight Into what it means that the kingdom is near, and we get to be part of that. But we must neither look up to nor look down on other people's cows. Our cows are unique to us because it's the Spirit of God speaking to our spirit. I am neither better than you because I remember a sermon sermon from a decade ago and can articulate how it impacted my life and those around me, nor am I worse than you because I only realized God is good seven years ago. Having cows is not a competition sport. That being said, if you can't think of the last time you had a cow, there's a problem and you might need to do some self-evaluation are you in the right place? I intentionally shared cows that occurred in different circumstances, on my own, at house church, in a sermon, in Bible study. We need to be putting ourselves in the direct line of fire of the Holy Spirit. Like BJ said last week, God is a gentleman. He is not in the habit of barging in on your life without an invitation. Do you have the right attitude? We might show up every Sunday. We might even be able to cross off read my Bible on our daily to-do list. But we have to be willing to hear, to be teachable, to be humble enough to expect to learn even on the hundred and second reading of that verse. Have you taken time to think? When I first started putting this sermon together, I had kind of a hard time thinking of cows and it's been so good, so helpful for me to process through what God has been saying to me and what has hit me in new ways and to be able to pull all the pieces together and then step back and really see what he has done. We have to take time to notice and put words to what the spirit is saying and even better to share our cows with others. Are you in the right place? In other words, habit. Have you made good habits daily and weekly and put yourself in God's crosshairs? Do you have the right attitude? In other words, virtue. Are you humble? Are you teachable? Are you expectant, willing to hear God's voice? And have you taken time to think This one's a bit more of a stretch. But think of it like a Chinese character. Have you made time to engrave, inscribe, really impress these weighty moments deep within you so that you can see the mark, the character that they are making on your soul? My challenge to you today is to have a cow. Cultivate your HVAC your habits, your virtue, and your character. And be amazed. Let, that whole, let the Holy Spirit change that mess of black and white streaks into a clear image. And find out what new thing is God just waiting to show you. Let's pray. God, we know that you are just longing to show us new things that your Holy Spirit, it's his job and he wants to do it. I pray that you will give us eyes to see where we need to be, that you will give us hearts to know how we need to approach and um, to be humble before you, and that you will help us to really catch what it is that you want to show us. I pray that you will give us cows, God, in Jesus' name.